Okay, after a little bit of a break, we're back recording some uh, podcasts for answering some questions from the sermon on Sunday. We're kicking off a new series called One. We go through the book of 1 Corinthians over the summer. Pastor Sean opened us up um, just describing sort of the main thesis of the the book is to pursue unity in the church for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. And um, we'll be sitting here with Pastor Sean and Pastor Joey now, going to answer a few questions that we got from the sermon. Let's kind of expound on a little bit. So I'll let you guys take it away. You sound tired. Uh, we're filming it. Early. We're recording this earlier than we normally do. <laughs> you started out with, okay, we're uh, back. Hey, um, guys, thank you so much for leading small groups over the summer. Men and guys is a generic term. Men and women. Uh, appreciate you all making that commitment. And I uh, hope your small groups are encouraging. And uh, I will tell you this, that, that Pastor Joe and I were just talking about, because um, his sermon's coming up in a couple weeks, just how difficult it is to cover an entire chapter uh, in one sermon, so there may be some things that come up in your in your small groups, you know, that are not covered in the sermon, which we certainly understand, so trying to equip you guys to do that well, but I think we have two questions. Yeah, for sure, and just Knock to encourage out. you guys, too, for those of you small group leaders that are going through the summer, we do have a commentary uh, available to you as a gift to you to help you study and prepare and help fill in the gaps of some of the stuff we can't cover because we have a limited amount of time with preaching on Sunday morning, and so you can pick those up in the office. Uh, it's a commentary by Leon Morris that uh, I believe Pastor Sean's uh, leaning into his commentary some as he prepares yep. some of the sermons, so uh, you may read some stuff and hear it also from the stage. But um, I wanted to open up with just, uh, this is just my own um, question, and some of it comes from uh, uh, me preaching. Um, I, I know there's there's times when I'm studying a passage of Scripture that there's certain things in that text that really stick out to me above some of the other parts uh, of Scripture, and, and I end up spending a lot more time uh, considering the implications of, of certain statements. And I could tell in your preaching this Sunday that there was a part of uh, chapter 1 of First Corinthians that uh, was that for you, and that was um, Paul addressing um, to the church that is in Corinth uh, was something that stuck out to you in your studies that you spent, um, in my opinion, a considerable amount of time on in the sermon. And yeah. so I thought that uh, I just wanted to give you some time to maybe speak into that even just a little bit more as to why that was it that stuck out to you and maybe press into it a little bit more. Yeah, I think uh, I'm not sure why it stuck out to me, but it definitely caught my attention as I was reading, you know, that just that little phrase of uh, the Church of God in Corinth, and uh, obviously I spent covered it in the sermon, the idea that the church doesn't belong to us. Um, with that said, I think why I was passionate about it is um, I've been at this church a long time, and that's, that's unusual, I think, for pastors. And so I, as the longer I'm here and the older I get, the more I do pray about and think about, um, wh- you know, wh- what is it that I... I want to leave behind. I won't be here forever as the pastor. Uh, and so one of the things that I've adjusted over the last few years is just really being intentional and being in our scriptures. And so that's why I've spent more and more time each year just going through books of the Bible. Um, but the second piece is I think about, you know, I want to hand Coastal off one day. And so I I do try to hold it l- loosely in that manner that one day I would like to raise up a disciple, a young pastor that you know, takes the church, continues to pastor church. I don't want to see Coastal be pastorless one day. You know, a lot of churches kind of flounder after that. So uh, that's the piece I kind of left out of my sermon is the idea of discipleship and 
And I think each, so small group leaders, you know, you're, you're, you know, shepherding your, your small group. And so uh, if there's ever a day that you're not going to do that, you'd be remiss to just go, oh, we're not meeting anymore. You know, we need to think about how do I make sure that the sheep continue to get shepherded? Um, And so that was why I was, you know, I guess one of, that's the thing I left out that was exciting to me was the idea of, um, uh, uh, of discipleship and passing on a legacy at this church for me personally and then for us as a body of believers. And then the other piece is what I hit on is that, um, just it's really easy to think the church belongs to you and it doesn't it belongs to the lord it's his church and and so that challenges me to pursue holiness and righteousness that i honor the lord behind the scenes that you know as a pastor I'm a Timothy 3 guy and and, and you know the the tension that i left off is that as the pastor or as a small group leader I mean, you do have certain responsibilities, and there's there's certain leadership that comes with that office and that position that the Lord has allowed me or various ministry leaders to have. I didn't spend a lot of time on that. So, um, but in that, it still doesn't belong to me. And um, I'm even careful sometimes with you know when people say that's your office, it's Sean's office. Well, it's my it's I'm on the office is on loan to me uh, for as long as I'm the pastor. Um, so it doesn't belong to me. And I think that permeates the culture of Coastal, too. I mean, um, we try really hard not not to build ministry silos around here. I mean, all that kind of trickles down so that, um, I'll give you, for instance, the space of the building. Um, we built out the right side of the building to be the children's wing, but it doesn't belong to the children. It belongs to the Lord. So if we can use it midweek for for other meetings or whatever, every, every staff person has to be flexible around their space because it's not their space. It belongs to the Lord, and if we can use our spaces to 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 be multifunctional, you know, even in this building, I know in the last building we had every office was used throughout the week for small groups. We just didn't have any space, so you you couldn't get um, uh, you. That's what I'm looking for. You couldn't silo off your office and say, this belongs to me. It's on loan to you. It's on loan to you from the Lord, ultimately. And so, um, you know, all of us shared our offices. It just means a lot of things. It's about sharing. It's about uh, multi-use of resources, um, because at the end of the day, it belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. And um, and I just want everybody to hold their positions with the right tension of God has put you there. That does make you the leader, but hold it loosely that the Lord could take it away if he if he so chooses. So um, anyway, yep. I think that has implications on giving. I mean, Jen and my wife and I have never given money where we're like, man, I'm super worried about it. Once you give it, you give it, you know, and you trust that the Lord is through that that organization's handling it well. Uh, you're gifting. Um, your gifting doesn't belong to you, you know. I um, the times I've been discouraged in ministry and didn't think I could go on, you know. I've the Lord often reminded me my teaching gift is a gift to the body, and it wouldn't be right to sit on it and not use it um, because I'm having a a bad week, month, or quarter. Even you know, it's just um, so. So if you know you're hearing this podcast, if you have a gift that you're not using, it, it doesn't that gift doesn't belong to you. It's for the church to honor the Lord and. Um, we should be using our gifts to honor honor the Lord because it all belongs to Him. There you go. I was passionate about it. You were passionate about it. The so it kind of, this kind of leads into this is a a question that we received uh, from one of the small groups here, and it was in regards to one of the comments that you made <clears throat> about how 
essentially the heartbeat behind your statement is um, a Christian that's without a local church uh, is a contradiction. And so you can't be a part of the universal church if you're not a part of the local church was the exact statement. Um, I thought maybe you can speak to that a little bit more. Um, I I certainly have some thoughts about it too, but... You go first. Yeah, well, I mean, it really stuck out to me in chapter 1, verse 2. I mean, I'll just read the text. It says, To the church of God that is in Corinth. So that's the part I jumped off on. Uh, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place. So that, to me, is church universal. Everybody that's called in every place and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to me, Paul is dressing, addressing the very specific needs of Corinth, but he's also linking this church um, with the universal church, that, you know, we are all together serving the Lord, uh, but we can't deal with specific stuff unless we're in a local church, and I think there's commands of the scriptures that can't be carried out unless you're a part of the local church. You, you can't, you know, use your gift you, you, to serve the body unless you're committed to a local church. You can't be held accountable uh, to grow in Christ, which we're going to get to in chapter 5, where uh, there was a man in, in Corinth that was in blatant sin, and they were allowing it, and it was habitual and unrepentant, and they were the church was allowing it, and so they had to discipline that person. So um, what's the passage in Hebrews that you always refer yeah, to? Yes, Hebrews 3, yeah. it's uh, remind each other every day as long as it's mm-hmm. called a day, so that none of you may be hardened by the right. deceitfulness of sin. And so all that has to happen in, in church local um, in order to be a part of church universal, to, well, sit, to sit in your living room and, and listen to podcasts or you know videos of other preachers. is It's not fulfilling all that we're called to be as, as Christians. Um, and that can only happen in relationship and in, and in church local. And so We have a lot of college students that... Um, come to Coastal, mm-hmm. uh, which is amazing, and uh, a lot of them that I think listen to this podcast, what would you say um, distinguishes the local church from a parachurch organization? Mm-hmm. Because we've seen and have heard testimony of countless college students that they're going to um, FCA or Crew or InterVarsity, which right. there's nothing wrong with those ministries by any means. We're grateful for what the Lord does in them, but they're solely invested in that community, and they use it as a substitute for the local church. Yeah. What what distinguishes the local church from the parachurch organizations? Uh, well, I think a couple things. One is generational, right? And so the value of, of cross-generation. Um, I know a lot of our college students serve in our various ministries, children, students, and otherwise. So they're in that way, there's serving the younger, older serving the younger, and hopefully spiritually older serving the younger. Uh, so it's generational. Um, and secondly, it's accountability. You know, I'm not, sh- and I'm not, again, I'm not throwing parachurch under the bus. I don't, I don't know their structures. Um, but I think that um, for me, I want accountability. I want some, uh, in my life, it would be the man, the elders that, you know, that if I'm not a Timothy three person, if I'm my, you know, my, there's habitual sin in Sean Brown's life. I want them to call me out because I don't want to be on the path to death. I want to be on the path to life. And um, I want to see my salvation through to the end. Um, so, so that's the piece that I think I'm not sure you get in, in parachurch. And then the third thing, then we've seen this a lot, especially if the college student remains in the in the community here, is they when they graduate, the parachurch kind of ends its its um, ministry to them. And so I've seen a lot of college students kind of get a little bit lost, as opposed to the ones that have not you know used the college ministry to maybe feed them on the campus, but then be a part of this local church and get involved with their talent and 
their time, talent, and treasure, you know, is what I always say, but if, you know, they commit to this local church, they just seem to flow seamlessly in their spiritual growth into the body of Christ and the local church, and so, um, and there's a, you know, Coastal's just one great church on the community, there's a lot of great churches on the community, and a lot that I know, some are even specifically targeting the, you know, the campus and in the community, and they're fantastic, and so I would just encourage, you know, our college students to you know, I get the piece of Tuesday night, you know, getting your fill at an IV and their crew or FCA or maybe there's, R, what's the art reform, uh, RCA, RFC, something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, there's a lot of great ones on the cam- CNU campus, to be sure. Maybe more helpful to think of those as, uh, even though they may be large gatherings of more small group type mm-hmm. stuff, because I think through like, some of the distinguishing marks of the local church is uh, church government, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so you, you have the church offices, what you were talking about with elders, you have deacons, and you have um, um, uh, uh, the ordinances um, that, yep. that um, are uh, the local church. Parachurches aren't um, called to, to practice those. The local church is called to practice those. And so you're, you're missing out on that piece, the Lord's Supper, baptism. Um, certainly the the account accountability piece to it is lacking multi-generational piece is lacking right. um, to it um, and so it, it it's a uh, there there are elements that the Lord um, handed to the local church that can't be duplicated outside the local church um, I, I I think through um, you know and this is when you're this is a highly uh, uh, it's a military populated area. There's a lot of folks in the military, a very transient area. And so there's going to be times where people move and they're not connected maybe for a few weeks to a local church. Um, and so certainly we're not speaking to the people that move to the new location. They're not there. But uh, I know the heartbeat behind what you, you're saying is the person that's habitually detached from the local church uh, is not a part of the universal church. Right. Um, and and I I think that the scriptures speak directly to that from the passage that you were talking about. But you also see things like I was reading uh, uh, Jesus and the Beatitudes uh, in in Matthew chapter five. He's talking about somebody that's uh, has anger in their heart and they're verbalizing anger. Uh, he talks about this counsel uh, that will li- press into that brother that's struggling. I've been thinking through like what is that count like? God has this thing in mind um, that that he's going to use as a means of grace to help brothers and sisters overcome anger, overcome uh, uh, various other things. You know, dealing with uh, Paul writing to the church about a man that's sleeping with his husband, his dad's... Uh, it's his stepmother. It's his stepmom, mm-hmm. and um, Corinth is tolerating that, and Paul calls them to... They're to be a means by which they call this man to repent, or they excommunicate him from fellowship of this local church or membership. But I, I see even in um, uh, speaking of the, the church local, um, in uh, I think it's in First Peter 5.2 here, it says, uh, this is um, Peter uh, giving a charge to elders in this passage, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Mm-hmm. Uh, exercise the flock that's among you. Uh, that's a particular flock. And so as pastors, if, there, if, if there's no distinction between local church and universal church, does this mean that God's holding me accountable for 
the Westboro Baptist Church congregation and the hate-filled messages that, that they spew everywhere? Is God holding me accountable to shepherding uh, the people that are trapped in this prosperity gospel church? Like, who am I accountable for? Who's God holding me accountable for as a pastor? And it seems that the scriptures to me are clear that God's holding us accountable for a particular congregation right. uh, to shepherd a, a particular people. Uh, I, I see in Acts chapter 2, um, you see um, when the the church is exploding after the gospel is being preached at Pentecost here, um, it says, day by day attending the temple together, um, uh, praising God, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those were being saved. There seems to be this record keeping of people that are being converted to Christ. You go on to, um, is it in Acts chapter 5? You see, uh, uh, or maybe it's Acts 6, excuse me. I'm trying to find it. I should have looked it up prior. But you see, uh, we can't have the, dead, we can't have air, dead air time. We lose. I our, know. We lose our listeners. That's true. <laughs> the uh, you you see that um, the apostles notice that um, folks are being neglected that need to uh, widows are being neglected that need to be taken care of, and you kind of see the office of deacon r- raise up here, and it's a spiritual thing that uh, Acts chapter six. Yeah, Acts chapter six that we devote. They, chapter five is when Ananias and Sapphira get, get killed. That's right in the they, church local. Yeah, in the local <laughs> church. It scared that local church. It scared that local church not to lie about. Don't lie to God. Um, uh, but and so I say all that to see like there was obviously some record keeping of uh, particular widows that were being neglected in daily distribution. Uh, there there has to be some organization and structure behind a daily distribution, and the apostles saw the need for this office of deacon here, so that God's church can be cared for fully, not just with their ministry of prayer and teaching, but also with the ministry of um, uh, of deaconing these people, serving these people, right. waiting tables Absolutely. for these people, and so you see, you see these pieces that come together that give you this indication that there is this shepherding of a local flock in God's universal church. Um, and I would say, Pastor Joey, that um, you know, I think there's, I think sometimes people confuse. Um, the Bible prescribing certain things and what I would call philosophy of ministry. Like, I think we can have differing philosophies of ministry. They're still biblical in their approach. So, in other words, the Wesleys, when they found the Methodist Church at their foundation, they never wanted a church body to grow to more than 200. And so they made sure they raised up pastors. And it's my understanding, every time they got to a certain side, they would hive them off and send them off with the, you know, new congregation, uh, as opposed to Coastal, which is certainly bigger than 200 people. And... I know there's house church movements, you know, and all I'm my all I'm saying is various churches, whatever your polity and your philosophy of ministry is, it ha- of course the polity has to include elders in my mind, it has to include deacons, it has to include some things that, you know, the Bible doesn't really prescribe a ton about church polity. We get some glimpses, and I think so because of that, I think there's freedom for churches to, you know, have. Um, n- I don't think we can get too far. I think it gives us the riverbanks, but I think there's some freedom in how specifically how much we want a congregation to speak into a church as opposed to elders, as opposed to, you know, in the Baptist church, the deacons speak into it uh, gen- generally. So um, 
So I think there's various things. I mean, I know at Coastal, we made, I sat down with the elders at the old building when we were kind of maxing that building out. And I really said, we have three choices the best I see it. We can campus, we can build a bigger building, or we can start hiving off churches, you know, and sending a couple hundred people away with um, under its own polity and under its own leadership. And um, which, you know, after a lot of prayer and discussion, we chose to move here, obviously. But, um, None of those would have been Set wrong. Set to buy a grocery store. That, yeah. None of those were wrong. Those were just decisions in, um, that needed to be made. And, and I, you know, there's different kinds of churches for different kinds of people. That's why I was pretty adamant. If you're in a Bible-believing church, then, you know, submit your family to that church. Um, yeah, that was but, a... Uh, you made that comment on... Sunday as well, yeah. the people that are coming saying we left this church for this problem, which yeah. we hear numerous right. accounts of people. <laughs> that, that might be a good question. What are the problems in which you can leave a church? Yeah. What, what are the problems that you can leave th- a church? I think if, for me, it would be habitual, unrepentant sin in leadership, um, where your pastors and elders um, are not... St- spiritual men. I, I would not go to a church where there's a pastor or elder that's a woman, because I think you're ignoring First Timothy 2 and 3. Um, and false doctrine, you know, a, mis, a, a misteaching of the gospel of Christ. Um, and then I think there's things that, well, I think we can agree to disagree, not some non-negotiables that don't tie directly to, maybe to the God. I guess it all ties to the gospel, but um, you know, we, there's uh, for me, it's our essentials at Coastal. What are my eight essentials after that that I would not waver on? What do you think? I agree. I agree. I I think there's um, uh, there are main things that are non-negotiables that uh, not only should you get out of a an organization that calls themselves a church that teaches these things, but you need to know that it, it's not a it's not a church, and so that that's wavering on the go- clarity of the gospel. It's mm-hmm. it's um, uh, rebelling against clear directives of Scripture. I think you need to <clears throat> get out of there quick. Uh, I think there's another piece that are uh, a second tier that are outer circle doctrines, but it may be worth breaking fellowship over. So I'm not I'm not going to be a Presbyterian, even though I agree with Presbyterian. My conservative Presbyterian brothers about a myriad of things, I can't be in a Presbyterian church because I reject infant baptism. Like that's right. a that's a piece where I, I couldn't be a member in good standing there because I wouldn't practice that. Um, the same th- piece with, I, I couldn't be at a conservative charismatic church that although they, they I could look at them and call them a brother or a sister right. because they have gospel clarity, I'm not going to be there or worship there because of what I believe about the gifts um, and so I think there are those types of things that um, uh, factor into that as well. Uh, but I find that the most common reason people leave local churches isn't because of either of those two reasons. No. Either it's no. it's mostly because of um, a lack of purser. It's it's because of hurt, and it's not to minimize some hurt. But I think God teaches us, and I've heard you say this before, and I think it's spot on. Um, what better place to learn how to forgive and how to uh, deal with issues and problems with one another? Um, what what better place to do that than within the local church? Right. And because we're not people that are naturally inclined to persevere with one another, 
the easy out is to just say, I'm, I'm done, I'm leaving. Um, and so if, uh, if I'm offended by somebody, even if I'm rightly offended by somebody, uh, a lot of times instead of folks going to the person that's offended them, they harbor it, they push it down, they become embittered, they brood on it until they leave and there's never this opportunity to reconcile and so that's certainly not that's certainly in contradiction to what uh, the example set for us in the gospel uh, and so I, I find that a lot of times it's it's hurt and disunity um, that is easier for the person to just leave in their mind than it is to stick around and resolve and actually learn and grow from it uh, and what those types of people don't realize is, they're still hurt and broken and embittered. And we get those people all the time that come here and say, I just need to uh, take a, I just need to rest or I just need to, um, to uh, be disengaged and just be poured into for a while. And uh, while we want them to be invested in and poured into, um, maybe there's this unresolved conflict. They've left this other church, and what could really bring them rest and peace is resolving the conflict from the church that they left so that they could be freed up to worship God. Well, and I would say, too, if, if you don't resolve it, the new church you go to, you take it with you. Yep. And so what's going to happen is you, you'll, you will be slower to trust leadership in the new location. So they'll make a decision, and it, it just bumps against your hurt that was unresolved. And so now you'll think, well, it tends down the path of all leaderships the same and untrustworthy as opposed to there could have been some resolution um, to that. So I wanted to speak to one more thing. I know we're going long. I really want to speak this to my, to our small group leaders. And it kind of, I'm circling back. My mind just went to this as you were talking about first Peter and who Peter is charging the elders of who they're accountable to. One of the things that we are really pushing, we have always pushed at Coastal and as small group leader, I would want you to consider really pushing it is we ask that same question, even to those who call Coastal their home. I mean, there's, you know, I, there's probably, I mean, our attendance is probably 12, 1,300, 1,400 adults, somewhere in there week to week. My suspicion is there's probably 2,000 adults that say, that's my home church. So then as elders and pastors, we ask, who are we responsible for uh, and accountable to the Lord for, to shepherd, and, you know, if someone's caught in a habitual sin, what is our responsibilities? Now, we would treat attenders the same as members in the sense of if someone's caught in a habitual sin, we would love to help them repent and get out of it. However, who we only find ourselves accountable to is our membership. And and that's why um, we're very intentional about the whole process so that we know that our members understand what they're agreeing to, uh, and then it lets us know who we're accountable to. And so um, because sometimes I've heard if I, if and when or when I preach on church discipline coming up, I know one of the potential stones that could be thrown is, well, there's people at Coastal and Habitual Sin all the time, and usually the first question I ask is, are they members? Uh, again, it's not that I wouldn't pursue that person or try to help them out of repentance, but if they don't want to go through the process, I don't know that I have a responsibility to them. They haven't made the commitment to Coastal and to our leadership and our authority as pastors and elders, so... Um, so membership is the piece that we look at and say, these are the folks that have committed to us and us to them, and it's a mutual commitment to one another. And so, so small group leaders, I would just really encourage you. I mean, I, I think mem- I think I think membership is incredibly important in a culture where people don't like to commit, and uh, and I mean because we don't have cultural pressures. I know a lot of people again. It's the pushback on me is well, it's not in the Bible to have formal membership. Well, let's be. Because, you know, 
always say it is. By good and necessary consequence, yeah. Westminster uh, confession. There's no question. Yeah. There's no question. It's inferred, but but you know the early church was getting fed to the lions. They were getting dipped in wax and lit on as torches in Nero's garden. Baptism was a death sentence. It was a death sentence, and so you know it was just like people knew what they were committing to. The culture made it very clear that you know your life is on the line. And so, you know, whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, we don't have that in our culture. So I'm trying. We're trying to do the best we can to say who is really committed to to, the, to following Christ, and then who, as as leaders, pastors and elders, who are we responsible for? And that for us is membership, formal membership. So, um, so yeah, small group members. I would love for you to remind people we are coastals coming up June third. If you have some folks that aren't members and you know are thinking about it, we would love for them to go through that class and consider. Becoming members at Coastal. So that's that. That's good. Well, thanks, Pastor Sean. Great. Thank you, <coughs> Pastor the Joey. And uh, a couple extra ones. So appreciate that. Bonus questions. Bonus. Bonus. Enjoy. Um, as always, be sure to submit any questions you have from Sunday Sermon by Tuesday. To, uh, email them to sermonquestions at gocoastal.org, and we'll do our best to address them for you. Thank you for uh, listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>